You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of the Pull Box Podcast. This is episode number 52, and I am your host, Curtis Finley. And I'm Julia Frost. And uh, we are back with another... Oh, yeah, Mike's still away, just in case you were wondering. He's uh, He'll be away for another month. Um, so, yeah, Julie's back again, filling in with us. Thank you. Hey, thank you. And, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about um, a strange book called A Girl on the Shore. And I just say strange because it's not really like the content is weird. It's just not the typical kind of book that I usually read or that we usually talk about on on this podcast here, um, mainly because of the <laughs> some <laughs> of the 18-plus the content that's in it. But um, like A Girl on the Shore by Inio Asano. Um, it's in it's our it's uh, from Vertical Comics and they are a manga publisher that does a lot of stuff. I first heard of them because they published a lot of um, work by Tezuka. Um, they had that license for a little while and so but they do um, they just they publish a lot of manga but it's all kind of under the the radar. They're not as as well known as um, like Viz who gets Bleach and Naruto and all those mm-hmm. kind of books. This story is it's a coming of age story about two 14 15 year old kids um, in Japan who have a sort of a relationship together it's a completely sexual relationship and it um, in fact they're not a couple it's just they have they're like friends with benefits kind of a, kind of a deal yeah. um, and they so the whole book deals with them uh, figuring out how to relate to each other and um, how to, like, kind of them finding their own identities as well. Um, it's almost coming of age. Not really, kind of. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, and that's where the gray area is yeah. in the book. So I'll we'll state right away that this is an 18-plus book because there are very graphic depictions of sex all throughout the thing. In, in fact, toward the end, it gets <laughs> really, really crazy. Um, it was originally published in a Japanese erotica magazine, um, so which is why they they go full on like you, you get to see a whole bunch of everything. They don't they don't hold back. Yeah. And the author Inio Asano doesn't usually do this in in his other books. Um, I think it's probably just because he's he had the contract with that particular magazine. But uh, the the sex aside, the the story is really well told. I thought um, I I actually had to read it two times to fully kind of get all of the details. And one of the hard parts about this book is because of because of the names. Um, I just wasn't sure who was who a lot of the time, <laughs> and it's just like you know they they have typical Japanese names. And that's just not what I'm used to when I'm reading, so it's hard for me to keep those names in my head as I'm going through. I had to read it yeah. twice, too. I, I also had to make notes to myself. So, I mean, keeping the names straight was sometimes a difficulty, especially when uh, some of the characters are drawn very similarly. 
in certain yeah. times. So, yeah. 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 The art in this is spectacular. Yes. What an incredible, uh, like just an incredible draftsman. I think um, the the drawing is not your typical. Uh, the backgrounds are typical Japanese. Like they put a lot of work into and mm-hmm. detail into the line work of the buildings and the trees to the point where they almost look like photographs. They do look photographic, like, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was use of some photographic Probably. in there a lot. Yeah. Um, like, it's it's really well done, though. Like, I feel like I'm in the environment. I feel like I understand the environment. And it, yeah. it adds gravity to the story as well, because it, it feels like a real time and a real place. And and then the, the people in it also are drawn a lot more realistically than your typical Japanese comic as well. You don't get the huge big eyes and and the huge hair and you know all this kind of stuff it's like they there is a a cartoony style to them but they have more realistic proportions mm-hmm. and and um, and that kind of thing to the point where yeah some of them aren't as distinguishable as they should be probably um but yeah the the main girl um her name is um Koume uh Koume Sato and she had she approaches this one boy at school and just that she's friends with and basically just says, do you want to have sex with me? And the boy like, of course he's going to say <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, also I think he had, he's had a crush on her for a long time too. Right. right? So he, it's it, on the one hand. Yes, of course he wants to. He's a teenage boy. And then yeah. on the other hand, <laughs> yes, he wants to, he does have feelings for her on some level too. Mm-hmm. So they start, and this is like their first time. Um, so it takes a little bit of practice and such. And, and they, and it starts to become a regular thing like after school they're just at home or at school or at school yes yeah. there's a bathroom scene too which is which is kind of weird but uh um yeah and and the through the course of the story they have to figure out where they stand because um the boy uh Isobi really wants to have a relationship with this girl but the girl says no I'm not interested in that I just want things the way they are right now you know she's just basically using him to get some sort of sexual fulfillment um but she's got this crush on this other guy Mm -hmm. his name is uh, misaki he's kind of a like a rock star guy he's 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 got the rock star visuals right Mm -hmm. i think they refer to him at some point in the book as having that visual k look which is like the sort of glam rockers of japan like it's all yeah very visual alt-rock kind of bands and he's got that look and he's like the cool kid in school yep he's probably like bleached his hair and and he's always got girls on his arm and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. and he's he's the cool kid but but um sato is the the uh kind of a sort of a more of a meek mousy girl yeah um so there's no way that she's got a chance with him in fact she tries to have a chance with him and she blows it yeah well (laughs) he comes on to her pretty Mm -hmm. strong and she back backs away um and so yeah and and through all of this it's like no um normal life is trying to happen as well at school and um she's got a home life where her parents um, or her her parents sort of are starting to argue, or there's a lot something going on behind the scenes that that shows that they're having some issues with their marriage. Probably, it's never really explored fully, but you know they they allude to it a few times. I think it's important to note Isobe's, um standing in the school too. He's like an outcast, yeah. And I think maybe that's contributing to why she doesn't want to have a full relationship with him aside from whatever she's trying to gain from their sexual relationship. Right. She doesn't want to be labeled as an outsider mm -hmm. as well. She's yeah, she is just desperately trying to fit in with 
with just social status mm-hmm. or whatever. Like she's the more normal girl, and if Misaki's like the most popular boy, Isobe is like the opposite of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is good to note. And then also Isobe's uh, mother is out of the picture, um, and his father is away on business a lot, mm-hmm. and he and uh, and so he's home a lot, home alone a lot, mm-hmm. um, which gives him kind of autonomy to do whatever he wants, mm-hmm. which is why they spend a lot of time at his house. And then throughout the course of the story, we also uh, it's also unfolded that Asobi has an older brother who died. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess they were pretty close. They shared a room, uh, but he's not there anymore as well. And then as the story progresses, we find out that he actually, the brother, killed himself. Mm-hmm. Due to bullying and other pressures. It's yeah. Same kind of high school pressures that these kids are dealing with. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of play here. And the most startling thing in the book, of course, is we get to see all of this sex kind of up front. And we're like, these are two kids. They shouldn't be doing this. We're saying this. I'm saying this to myself the mm-hmm. whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, but they, and they come at it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, because the girl is... I think she's trying to escape her normal life and trying to ignore the fact that her parents may not be getting along. So think, she's yeah, yeah, for her, it's some semblance of control. Like she's trying to regain control and she and knows she, that she has control over it. She so completely vague. does. And he yeah. knows that too. And it, and it frustrates him to no end. Mm-hmm. And then he's coming at it because he's really hurting and he has no parents that are there to help him out. Mm-hmm. So he's putting all of his energy into this girl that he likes that is not reciprocating the feelings. It doesn't even seem like like throughout the story that he has friends. Like he doesn't right. have he has friends nobody. that care about him either. Like so there's the dad that comes home drunk once in a blue moon and then there's Koume and that's it for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one of the things that made it really difficult to is that um the the main two boy and girl keep referring to each other by their last names or their family names, Sato and Isobi, whereas all of the their friends refer to the girl as Kume, her her first name, mm-hmm. um, and they refer to people refer to the boy, even people that don't know her refer that no don't know him refer to him as Kisuke, um, and that really shows I think the fact that they don't want to have or at least the girl doesn't want to have a familiar relationship in the point that she never refers to him yeah. by his first name. It's always, it's always standoffish. It's always last names. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very end of the book, when the girl tries to start a new relationship, um, she starts to, she starts to call this new guy by his last name. He's like, don't call me by my last name. Here's my yeah. first name. And, um, and she's like, she says it once, but then the very next thing she says, she uses his last name again. Like mm-hmm. she, she can't, she can't open herself up like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of her problem is once her whole thing ended with Isobe is that she, she's lost that control. Cause I, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about the ending where they're in that last couple chapters where he, he tells her, no, I'm, I'm not going to be your yeah. puppet anymore. Like you can't control me anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy to stay friends, but we can't do anything anymore. I won't even yeah. kiss you. And at this point in the story, she's, she's kind of become somewhat infatuated with him. Like she, yeah. she writes a letter pouring out her heart where maybe she does want a relationship with him. But I think maybe that's because she also knew that she was 
losing some semblance of control there too. Yeah, so the the story is called A Girl on the Shore because um, Isobi finds an SD card on the beach and looks at it and there's all these pictures of this one girl. It's obviously her SD card and she is a, a bikini girl mm-hmm. um, on the beach. And he kind of becomes a little obsessed with this girl. Mm-hmm. And um, Koume Sato gets jealous of this fact. And this is kind of the first sense that she gets that maybe actually she does care about him or wants him a little bit in a different way mm-hmm. because she, she sees the feeling that he's giving towards this girl that he doesn't even know in the yeah. pictures. Um, and she wants, she maybe wants that, a little bit of that too. Um, also, like you say, it's she's losing control. She mm-hmm. doesn't have that grasp. But then there's the scene where um, toward the end, after Isobi is kind of mad at, at, um, at Sato, he actually accidentally bumps into this girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, And he gets the courage to actually talk to her. And he comes back to Sato, and he's a completely different person. Mm-hmm. He's happy, and he's encouraged and invigorated. Like, he's I met this hair. girl. He's cut <laughs> his hair. He's yeah. got a nice haircut, and he's yeah. got an, a new outlook on life. And that's the turning point that she knows, like, uh-oh, I... I don't have control of this situation at mm-hmm. all anymore. I'm going to lose him if I don't do something. And that's kind of when she starts. Is well, that when she no, pours I out her heart? The letter, the letter is before that. He disappears. Okay. Um, oh, like yeah. So she, she on his birthday, because he avenges his brother, um, and he he decides to lay low or disappear or whatever. And so he's... Everybody he's, thinks he's committed suicide. Exactly. So he's gone for months. And even she breaks into his house and his room's clean and she checks the computer and it's being reformatted and he's obsessed yep. with the computer like all through the the book um because he's taken over his brother's website yeah so he's posing as his brother keeping his brother alive in that sense mm-hmm. but now he's wiped everything like yeah. that thing that was most precious to him because it, partway through after um he's loaded these pictures onto his computer uh they have a moment and she wakes up before him and uh before she leaves she deletes the picture of the girl that he had kept on his on his computer and um they get into a fight about it later like he's very cold towards her for having and rightly so yeah. she shouldn't be deleting yeah his, well his she stuff. violated his space right yeah. and a computer can be a very private per- thing Definitely. for people and um so she she does this violation to him uh, again with the control right and yeah. whatever jealousy is sitting there and uh he's he's mad like he's yeah. really really mad he won't even talk to her um, and she's frustrated because she can't seem to get back to where she was with him. Um, so I think it's kind of, they have that weekend together and then sort of leading up to his birthday, which also happens to be like this festival at school and a bunch of other things are happening on this exact same day. She she decides to pour out his heart to him yeah. and he goes and avenges his brother and then disappears and she can't find him anywhere. And I think, you know, that's when she kind of breaks down and the next time we see him, is when um, he's already talked to this girl on the beach and he's got this haircut and she's just like, where have you been? What's yeah. been going on? <laughs> what, what happened to you? You're a new yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and that's when she pours herself out again and he, he won't even kiss her. Like he's just mm-hmm. like, th- that one thing he wanted through most of the book was just to, to kiss her. Um, and she asks if he will that time and he won't. He's done. Which is, yeah, it's uh, it's like, yes, finally he's taking control of himself. And it's like, But he... It's hard to root for either of these two as a protagonist because they are pretty awful people <laughs> to each other the entire yeah. time. Like there's, they're both really terrible toward each other. Well, they're I think again they're fourteen, fifteen, right. trying to figure themselves out. Yeah. Right. So there's a selfishness to them. 
Um, I, I find Isobe more sympathetic than Koume, yeah. personally. Um, and I, I think that's just because he has such a tragic history. Uh, whereas Kume's family seems more put together. I know they're fighting. I know they're going through things that, you know. But she, yeah, it's like, just grow up already. Kind yeah, of like attitude. she has a supportive family around her. She has a supportive group of friends around yeah. her. And um, this this boy has nothing except for the memories of his brother yeah. to keep him company, which, I mean, that's going to mess somebody up for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that he takes a lot of his brother and sort of shares it with her too. Not in a very direct way when it comes to the blogs, but when he's playing her music or sharing books with her, you know, those are all his brother's things. Yeah. And they're older and, you know, they're a little bit outdated, but he wants to share them with her still. And she, she does tend to gravitate towards them because even at the end of the book with her new boyfriend, um, you know, they're talking about how, oh, she's turned into a bit of a weirdo <laughs> because <laughs> she likes these old things. It's like, why does she like these old manga and these old, you know, songs and things? Yeah. Like, she's not more current. Like it's And it's weird that she kind of took that from Isobe at yeah. some point and uh, really tried to work it into her life now. Um, there's a, one of the songs that they use... Um, there's this there's this kind of a running theme about a one particular song that Sobi likes and is it because his his brother really liked it yeah um and uh and throughout the like kind of the one of the pinnacle parts of the story is that she buys him that album on vinyl as a gift mm-hmm. and um and he's go- trying to find him but he's disappeared that's the day that he doesn't right, know the birthday yeah yeah and um and so they, the, the author uses the lyrics for the story. It's called Gather the Wind. Um, or no, it's called Happy End, I think. by No, the band is called Happy End. And the song is called Gather the Wind. But he basically takes the, um, the lyrics and spends the next, you know, 30 pages or so um, weaving the lyrics through through what's going through uh going on through um Sato's mind as she processes it so be disappearing um and it's it's just really well done it's i like when they take those themes and like if this were a movie they'd play mm-hmm. the song yeah. at that pinnacle moment but uh you can't play the song in a book mm-hmm. so he they, they use the lyrics and well it reminds me of an anime right where they have that musical interval right. playing over top and then you've got all these different scenes from different stories sort of showing you what's happening with different characters at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, the, I like the use of music in here, actually. And I was um, I was kind of surprised to see some that I'd, I'd heard before. Like oh, there's really? There's a reference to AKB48, which is like a massive J-pop girl group. Oh, um, yeah. And it's like one of the girls is complaining that that song's stuck in my head. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know that song. <laughs> now, is that going to uh, date this book by putting in those references? I think... I think the AKB48 one might because they've waned in popularity um, since I'd say like they're still they're still around um, very much so but I think they hit probably peak popularity in 2010 I want to say maybe 2012 Um, so but they're still around at 2016 now like they still do things and that song is relatively recent so Hmm. I mean it might date the book but I I feel like the story itself it's not dated no and especially with um I find that Japanese, um, well, architecture mm. is quite old, and so you can't really place a time for these kind of things mm-hmm. a, as well, for these kind of books. And then their clothes are, are fairly standard. They, they're well, not... they're all in uniform most of the time, right? Yeah, and they're not trendy um, or anything like that, too. So, yeah, I feel like it's a pretty timeless book in that sense. And, like, these are things that kids are going 
going to go through forever. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's really well done. I also like, um, there's some port parts. There's a, for the most part, the, the, uh, the, the camera and the panels are fairly straightforward. Um, just because it's a, um, it's just kind of a drama. So you don't go crazy with extreme angles, but then yeah. you get to the first, one of the first instances of, of, sort of a tilted camera angles on page 28 where uh, um, she's just having a moment and they they just tilt the camera so it's askew a little bit to show that you know she's kind of uh, her world's starting to to tilt since he does mm-hmm. he does things like that um, throughout the book where he just he'll play with the camera angle only for um, dramatic effect mm-hmm. it's uh it's pretty pretty sparse when he actually does it I was I was a little bit surprised that the sex in this book wasn't wasn't more censored, and I I think I have a misunderstanding about um, how much they're allowed to show in Japan. Right. Um, but it you know there there were some censored moments, but it's it, it's very graphic. I was surprised. I mean I know you'd warned me beforehand, um, but then there's there's a lot of sex in this book. Like yeah, and I think a lot of that is specifically because it was serialized in mm-hmm. an erotica magazine. Mm-hmm. So y- that's the kind of thing you're going to expect to, to see mm-hmm. in that kind of thing. But yeah, there's like, some of it is weirdly censored. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't draw all of the detail yeah. of, of, you know, the action that's going on. But mm-hmm. then there are other parts that are very, like it's all on, on display. Mm-hmm. There's no hiding it with, with you know, objects in the foreground <laughs> or or anything like that it's like no these two kids are fully unclothed and and mm-hmm. having sex in these pages do you think this story would have worked without being so graphic absolutely i totally do um it's uh it there are some moments like you could have taken out these pages like some of these scenes go on for mm-hmm. 10 or 12 pages mm-hmm. and if you take them out, the story still remains the same, mm-hmm. even if you imply that they go off into their bedroom and and do it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it th- that they're just there because of the actual publication that it was being published in. Okay, my I, thoughts, your thoughts. Well, I I don't know. I probably didn't need to be as long as some of the scenes were, um, but there were definitely some some parts in there that I thought probably should have stayed in, and I, I think it speaks more to the character's psyche. Um, for instance, there's that one weekend that they spend together. They just spend the entire weekend in, in uh, Isobe's house. Yeah, finding new ways to have sex. Yeah, <laughs> and experimenting. And, and, you know, while a lot of that is fairly graphic, I think it speaks to what some of the characters are wanting or willing to get That's true. from each yeah. other. And mm-hmm. also, um, there's a moment where he's wearing her clothes and he she's wearing his clothes. Right. And I think, you know, it, it kind of talks a bit about their identities and... Um, really what they're looking for in their identities because Isobe doesn't have any of the normalcy that Kume has and she doesn't understand where he's coming from at all I don't think like she's just using him in a way and I I feel like he wants something from her that she can't give him and he wants something out of her life that he can't ever have yeah like that's that's what that felt like to me yeah and by dressing up it's like he's pretending that he is in a normal family Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I actually felt like that whole weekend was like them pretending, you know, they're, sh- I think they're playing house and like she, yeah, she's trying to make house. him food yeah, and he and makes him dinner. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it probably could have been left out, but there's, um, uh, there's another scene that I think, you know, is a little bit 
odd, but it should have stayed in too because I think it speaks to his desolation and his desperation in trying to find himself, even without Kume, where he's um, he's masturbating essentially yeah. um, with uh, a toy, I think, and. Um, it's it's a pretty small set of panels, but it I think again it just speaks to him looking for something and he doesn't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's um, you'd have to if you were going to take out those scenes, you'd have to replace the conversations or mm-hmm. the stuff with with something else. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as it is, it's um, it's fine being in there. It's uh, it's the kind of thing like you're not going to read this book on the bus. <laughs> I hope not. No. <laughs> I was reading it at home and my husband's just like, what, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Did, did you say, here, check it out? <laughs> yeah, I was just like, well, I'm doing this thing. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, you keep on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not going to be for everyone. Like, yeah. it's, it's a great, it's a really great story and a really good study on just kind of the human psyche, especially at this, mm-hmm. this teenager age. Um but yeah, the I can see people just not getting into it because of how graphic it is. What did you think of the ending? Um, oh yeah, the yeah I guess we could talk about that. There's it kind of has a couple of different endings because there's the point where he he comes back and then they they have a conversation and and, and she says they say goodbye and then it kind of flashes forward. I don't know by how long, a few months or something like that. Yeah, like they're in high school now, so they're in the the like 15, 16 range now. And we've already sort of talked about um, she's kind of getting into a new relationship, Mm -hmm. and she actually honestly wants to make a good go at it this time, but Mm -hmm. doesn't really know how to, and so she's holding him like at arm's length a little bit, and he's Mm -hmm. like, come on, I I thought you wanted this. I I want it, and I'll do whatever, like... (laughs) It's, really it's interesting like <laughs> because he's willing to do whatever uh-huh. and she's not having it this time. So mm-hmm. she's, she has learned something mm-hmm. about it. Um, but is it more of um, Isobi's ending that you want to talk about? Well, uh, either or like her ending, especially with the boyfriend, the new boyfriend, I read that a little bit differently. Like I saw her as holding him at arm's length because she doesn't know what she wants still. Right. I think there's, um, there is that too. Um, but I think also, she's not going to jump into anything like yeah. she did last time. Yeah. I, I I feel like she's feeling out of control here too. Like she's she wants something out of this relationship, but it's it's not the same as when it was with this Obey. Like she felt that she had full reign there and now it's like okay, you've got a more conscious being in front of you. Yeah. Um not that Isobe wasn't present, but like this this guy, you know, he's very willing to try and please her. Yeah. And you know, before Isobe necessarily di- wasn't necessarily, you know, he wanted to try and they were experimenting together, but there, there was still sort of a wall. Yeah. She's definitely not, uh, not still not sure of herself, mm-hmm. but she's willing to, at, by the end of their conversation, she's willing to try. And then she meets up with, um, Kashima. What's the guy's name? Yeah. Kashima, which we haven't even really talked about him at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, uh, um, he's another kid at the school who ends up um, in the hospital because he has an altercation with Asobi yeah. and he goes flying over a, a banister and, and falls mm-hmm. down, down a, a flight of flight of stairs or something yeah, like that and breaks his, his arm. Baseball and career. Yeah. And um, he's basically just used to talk through as a, as a device for her to talk through the rest of her, her thought process. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess he liked her, mm-hmm. but he, she never 
reciprocated those feelings at all. I don't think she even noticed him. Like, you know, and he's the one that first, I think, notices that there's something up between her and Asobe. Right. Um, and then there's her best friend Keiko that's kind of a distraction in the corner too, right? Because Keiko likes Kashima. And there's, there's, you know, that teenage drama, all these different love triangles kind of petering out. Um, but yeah, Kashima is, uh, he's interesting at the end because the, he's complaining through the whole book how he's short and nobody notices him. And at the end, he's, he's a more realized young man. Well, and he's tall. He's yeah. grown, he's grown quite a bit. And mm-hmm. he, even though his baseball career is, it has ended, he's got a plan. Yeah. And she realizes that she doesn't have a plan. Yeah. She doesn't know where she's headed or what she's doing. And she kind of envies him for that. Yeah. Um, and then she stands in the beach yeah they're back at their old beach back where the whole thing started mm-hmm. where uh where the whole book started and they found that sd card mm-hmm. and um yeah it's kind of like the idea of you know what comes from the sea and goes back and returning yeah. this it it's uh like a, like a tide i guess yeah like the tide's coming in and out um, I don't know what. Wh- how did you interpret the ending there? I I found it really anticlimactic, and I know like there's this part of me that wanted Isobe and Kume to sort things out, but at the same time, it's like that can't possibly happen. They're awful for each other. Yeah, and that was it was an awful relationship. So um, awful in the terms that they they weren't taking care of each other. You know, they were they weren't. Yeah, they weren't taking care of each other. Um, so I, I thought it was a little anticlimactic that we don't really see what happens with Asobe. Um, especially because, right. again, I found him a little bit more interesting than Kuime. And, For sure. you know, I would have liked to see what happened. I think the last time we see him, he's talking to the police about uh, the night where he avenged his brother. And so you don't, you know, you're, it's not really said whether or not the police get him for that. But he's willing to talk you know, to them about it, which means true. he's accepting responsibility for his actions, which he hasn't re- accepted responsibility for really anything. Mm-hmm. So he took control of his life. And I think part of it was that nobody knew that his brother died. Yeah. So by talking to the police about it, mm-hmm. he actually is saying that something was wrong, and uh, you know, telling the police about his brother's death and such. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'd, I would have liked a little bit more focus on both of them. Mm-hmm. Um even though I know it's probably more about her. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. And I, I liked that it was a little bit more subtle. Um, if, there, if there was something I really liked about the ending, it was yeah. more subtle, even though it's anticlimactic, right? Yeah, well, I mean, but what would have made it climatic? Like, really, we, you could have had them both sort it out and get together and have a fairy tale uh, ending. Like, no, you don't that want that work. either, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- this this book is specifically about their relationship. Mm-hmm. And as soon as their relationship ends, the story has to end. Yeah. That so makes sense. it does. We don't get to find out what happens to them because it's that's not what the story is about. It was about the journey through their relationship together. I was actually really happy that Isobe wasn't killed off, like either yeah. via suicide or whatever it was. I'm I'm glad that the um, author didn't go that route, because I, you know, I was worried that that was going to happen when I was reading that really climactic scene. But um, I was surprised and happy that it wasn't used that way. Mm-hmm. Probably would have made it more tragic for sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm so tired <laughs> of those kind of tragedies. You know, where where yeah. his and doesn't have to be this cyclical thing where it follows his brother. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. They um 
it was an unexpected ending, but I think the whole book was pretty unexpected because yeah, there's yeah, no, true. there it didn't follow, it doesn't follow a, a typical narrative structure or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. really just a slice of life. And I don't know if, if he, if he planned out the entire book before he started writing and drawing it, or if he just kind of went along and, and it just came to him as he went along. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, it, very enjoyable read. I would, I would definitely want to go back and poke at it some more because there's a lot of little things in there. There is, and like we said, we both read it twice, mm-hmm. and it really takes that to it's it's such a dense, heavy book that mm-hmm. you you can't unpack it all in one go. Mm-hmm. If um if it wasn't so graphic, it would be a good school book. I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think as long as it's about the teenagers trying to figure it out, like yeah, it would definitely be a good school book. Yeah might be good you could do it in universities with this content but mm-hmm. not in high schools <laughs> <laughs> sign a waiver <laughs> yeah right <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for being part of the podcast for the last three episodes thanks for having me i've really enjoyed this good. it's been great reading along yeah well we'll have to have you back in a future episode sometime that'd be awesome um next month i have a new co-host um uh, jamie fong he's going to be joining me for three books um one is uh, The Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn, so you'll want to check that one out um, from Image. And um, This One Summer by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki from First Second Books. And then um, Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat from Marvel by Kate Leith and Brittany Williams. So we, you can join us again um, next time uh, with my new host. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Julie, for being with us. And um, thank you all for listening. Keep reading comics. For more Pullbox Podcast episodes, you can check out pullboxpodcast.com to submit a reader poll. Uh, you can email thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at Twitter and on Instagram at pullboxpodcast. You can follow me, Curtis, on Instagram at Curtis Bidley. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. You can, you can also find all of our other great podcasts over at thunderquack.com, and uh, that's the home of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, of which we are proudly a part. And, uh, and if you want to help support all of our podcasts at Thunderquack, you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack, and, uh, and, and you, can, you can pledge your support over there. Every dollar helps, but uh, if you're a Pullbox fan and supporter, then you'd definitely be interested in the $20 level, which allows you to get all three episodes of the Pullbox podcast, all three of our books, as one super long episode uh, right at the beginning of the month, as opposed to having to wait for the individual episodes to be released. So you can find all that at patreon.com slash thunderquack and all of our other podcasts at thunderquack.com. 